and it is my challenge and my duty to stay behind this mic. They uh, offered me a headset, and I said, I just don't know that I can wear that thing. I think it'll be more than a distraction, and I don't want to be distracted here this morning, but I also, um, I'm part Italian, and uh, if you know anything about Italians, they like to talk with their hands, and they like to move over here, and they like to move over there, so I have to try to keep myself committed to just standing behind this uh, microphone so that you can hear what I have to say. It is a pleasure to be here with you this evening. It's good to see old faces, and it's good to see new faces. And I know some of you uh, know a little bit about my testimony, but it was in 1993 that I moved up here from Texas and just one summer afternoon decided that I needed to find a church in my area. After moving up here from Texas and not being in church for a number of months, the Holy Spirit just convicted my heart. And I remember, uh, now we're going to go back some days here. So you remember these things called the, the phone books? Yeah, the the uh, so I used to I opened the phone book and I saw a church that said Bible Baptist Church and I said well that sounds like a church for me, and it said Two South Cedar Lane. Now how many of you were here when we were still at Two South Cedar Lane, Upper Darby, PA? We're going back some years, right? And uh, I remember thinking, well, Two South Cedar Lane. Well, I live on South Carroll Boulevard. It can't be that far away. And and sure enough, South Cedar was just the next block over. So as a, as a young man, I just uh, walked up the street, found the church, and walked in. And, uh, and that's where I met my wife. And we will be celebrating this Tuesday our uh, 25th wedding anniversary, which I'm pretty excited about. And uh, it, it was your pastor, who was my pastor, uh, who, who married us some almost 25 years ago. So it's been a pretty amazing how this all just kind of comes full circle, isn't it? If you have your Bible, I don't necessarily want you to open it. I just want you to hold it for a minute. And I want you to think about what you're holding. And ask yourself, is this the most powerful book in the world? You ever think about that? This book is the most powerful book in the entire world. You think about what it can do. You think about the transforming power that comes from this book. You think about all the lives that have been changed by this book. You think about all the people who have been set free from death and from sin from this book. There's an old saying out there that there's many books can, that can inform, but there's only one book that can transform, and that's the Word of God. And when I think about this book, I think about what we're going to talk about tonight, and that is the idea of evangelism. Because we know from God's Word, this simple truth. Faith cometh 
by what? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. Let that sink in for a minute. Because I know everyone in this room who has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior only did so because someone was willing to share the gospel. It's the only way. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What is that? That's evangelism. And do you think God has a purpose in our lives to go out and evangelize the world? You know, it's easy for us. And I have these conversations sometimes with my friends. And they say, boy, the world is just getting so bad today. We have so many things to worry about and so many things to be discouraged about and so many things that our minds are just ready to explode sometimes. And my, my thought always goes back to this. Well, we can help. We can change. We can change people. We can change hearts. We can change ideas. We can change thoughts. We can change manners. Not that we can change them personally, but by the power of the Word of God, people change. And I want to say that to you to be an encouragement and not to be the person who is is so one-sided and thinking doom and gloom is upon us because that's what it feels like sometimes. But if you really want to make a difference in the world, you take the Word of God and you tell people about it. And you show them how they can change and how they can have a new life in Jesus Christ. You know, when I think about evangelism, I think about a time a few years ago that I had the opportunity to do a missions trip to the Philippines. And that was a life-changing experience for me. Something that I will always remember. Something that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. And what changed in that moment was the fact that we were there for one purpose and for one purpose only. We weren't there to build houses or to fix roads or to put water systems in. We were there strictly for the purpose of giving the gospel. And we were there for a number of days. And I was able to lead a team of of college and career people from our church, our sister church, Bible Baptist, in Westchester. I think there was nine of us who went. And, And we flew halfway around the world. Halfway around the world. And we didn't just meet hundreds of people. And we didn't just meet thousands of people. But within those nine days, we physically reached over 100,000 people. We were invited into this country, and we got to speak directly to what they would consider 
the ROTC. We were invited into their public school systems. We were invited all over areas, all over town, where we simply just got to stand in front of people and tell them that Christ loves you. And Christ died for you. And that there is something far better and far greater that is in this world today. And that is Jesus Christ. We were saturated. Saturated in the gospel message. And it's life changing. When you're going to bed at 11 o'clock at night. And you've been traveling in the mountainsides of the Philippines for hours and days, you get exhausted. You're tired. And you go to bed at 11 o'clock and and you sleep like you have never slept before. And you get up in the morning and you begin your day with prayer. And you have a a Filipino breakfast, which is nothing more than two hot dogs and a side of rice. And you go out and you do it all over again. And for hours and hours, you are just giving of yourself and you're asking of God to give more and more of who you are so that you can tell them about the love of Christ. It's life-changing. It's life-altering. It's just an amazing thing. And maybe many of you have even had the opportunity to lead someone to Christ. Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember the joy that that person felt when they realized that God had forgiven them for all of their sins? It's so big to the new believer that they can't even wrap their head around it. And I would, I would say that even today that it's so, it should be so big and so fresh to us that God loves us enough that he still continues to forgive us of our sins today. Past, present, future, God is still forgiving. And we have the opportunity to share that. I'll share with you another story. Uh, I was actually sharing this with our Sunday school class this morning. When I first moved up here from Texas, I went to work for a, a local pizza shop in Newtown Square, Carmine's Pizza. Don't know if any of you have ever been there. It was owned by the uh, Amadeo family. Mr. A, that was the father. And you had Carmine, and he ran the Carmines in Newtown Square, and then he had his brother, Tommy, who ran a Carmines in, in Westchester. And when I first moved up here, I was only 17 years old, and and I wasn't I wasn't involved in church, and I wasn't always living the life that, that I personally knew that I should be living, but I was saved. And every once in a while, I would, I would just say something to Carmine. I would just give him a little bit of my testimony. I was never hitting him over the head with the gospel. I was never preaching to him. I was never just, you know, coming down on him. I just, you know, Carmine, let me tell you about God. Let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. And I worked for him for a little over two years before I went to work for my father-in-law. And some ten years later, we're sitting in a restaurant. This, this, I mean, this just this is just God. 
And Carmine comes walking into the door. And he walks right up to me. I didn't even recognize him at first. He recognized me. And he walked up to me and he he pointed his finger at me. And he said three words. He said, you were right. I didn't know what to say because I didn't know what he was talking about. And I was rehearsing the words in my mind. I was right. I'm like, what was I right about? You know? And then all of a sudden it was like, oh my goodness. Did he say what I think he said? And I said, Carmine, did you get saved? He goes, yes, I did. And he told me the name of the church he goes to, and he said, my wife got saved, and my children got saved. And we're serving in this church. And I was just like, wow. Unbelievable. I didn't get the chance to lead him to the Lord. But I was still able to drop some seeds. Right? I was still able to cultivate that earth a little bit. I was still able just to plant a little seed here and there. Well, the story gets better. Few more years have passed. I haven't seen Carmine, but I've told his story many, many times because it had an effect on me. And I thought, boy, I just can't believe the way God used a 17-year-old snot-nosed little kid to share the little seeds of gospel with somebody, and that it took hold, it took root in his heart, and it began to flourish. And this man comes to know Christ. Two Sundays ago. I was picking up some pizza for a a work party on Monday. And I hear Dave Earwood. I turned around, and it was Carmine. And I said, Carmine, it is so good to see you. I said, I think about you all the time. I said, Carmine, you're not going to believe this, but I tell that story of when you met me years ago and how, how happy I was and how... I just, my soul just over, just rejoiced. And he says, well, I got something else to tell you. I said, what's that? He said, my brother got saved. And I said, what? What you guys don't know is this was one of the hardest men I'd ever met. If there was anybody that I would say, this guy will never get saved. It was this guy. Shame on me for thinking like that, right? But through the power of the Holy Ghost, Carmine gets saved, and one day he says to his brother, he said, they were having a little bit of a disagreement, and he said, you may not talk to me, but I'm taking you to heaven with me. That's the power. That's the power of the Word of God. That is the power of this book. And I hope we always remember that. Studying a book called Spiritual Disciplines, and some of this material even comes from that book, even this morning, but there was a quote that I read within this book that I put down here, and it says this, I know many believers 
who feel confident that they are obeying the Lord when it comes to their intake of Scripture and of their giving and of their serving. But I don't know a single Christian who would boldly say, I am as evangelistic as I should be. And I think that's a fair statement. I think we as Christians, we try to do the best we can. We want to be faithful to church. We want to be faithful in our giving. We want to be faithful in our serving. But for some reason, when it comes to this idea of evangelism or soul winning or sharing the gospel, there's something inherently in us that that stops us sometimes. Have you ever been walking past somebody or talking with somebody and all of a sudden you hear the, the still small voice of God entering into your conscience and he says, witness to that person. And you weren't even thinking about witnessing to him. You were just having a conversation. You were just going about your day, your business, just like any other day. And all of a sudden this voice, witness to that person. Witness to that person. And now you're trying to consciously make a decision. What do I do? You're still trying to have the conversation and you're at turmoil in your minds because you're like, I don't know what to do. I kind of got to go. I don't know if I should stop and talk. Maybe this person, you know, and you just don't know, and you're warring with yourself. Why do we do that? Do you know that evangelism is expected? You know, evangelism is expected. How about when we read verses like Matthew 28? In verse 19, where you have this, what they would call in our English language, an imperative command. Starts off with the word go. Go. I don't see that there's any wiggle room there, by the way. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then he follows up with this statement, and I find this statement very encouraging because I don't know that it's always easy to have the ability or the stamina, or even the desire to obey Scripture when it says like this, Go ye, therefore. I don't know that we always want to go thee, therefore. Sometimes we might say to the Lord, Yeah, but i got other things that I need to do. I have, I have a schedule that I have to keep, and I just don't have time to be doing this. And, but the Lord himself is saying here, Go. Go. But you know what really gives me comfort is when I look at this and he says this, Lo, I am with you. How comforting is that? You know, it's always easier to do things in pairs. Is it not? Why do you think when you go soul winning, if you go door to door, you always go with two people. Because it's like that extra energy. It's like that extra help. It's that 
extra encouragement. Sometimes you just need that buddy. I'm trying to walk away here. I'm sorry. You just need that buddy to stand alongside you. Maybe all he's doing is just his presence is just being there. Or maybe he's sitting there and he is just praying for you. But we find it easier when we have a friend, when we have a buddy, when somebody is there to help us along. And what I take away from this verse is that we're never alone. We're never by ourselves. Lo, I am with you when? Always. Isn't it comforting when you hear something like that? When he says something like, I don't know, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you find hope in that? Do you find comfort in that? What about Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 where we read, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world. All the world. And do what? Preach the gospel. The gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news, right? That Christ came to this earth. That he was born of a virgin. That he died on the cross. That he shed his blood. That he was put into a tomb. And that he conquered death. And that he conquered sin. And that he rose again. And he's sitting on the right hand of his father right now. And he did that for you. And he did that for me. And he did it for the world. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How does that happen? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Acts 1.8 should give us some, some joy because it says this, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And, now watch this, follow this. Ye shall be, what? Witnesses. Witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. But here's what I don't want you to miss. He says this, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Now that that word interested me, so I dug into it just a little bit more, the idea of the word witness, and it has a threefold meaning. One meaning is just simply the word itself, a witness. What is a witness? Well, we think of a witness, sometimes somebody who testifies on behalf of somebody. Maybe in the court of law. We also know that it bears record. You think of, of the disciples when, we, when they say, we have seen him. We've seen him with our eyes. We've heard him with our ears. We have touched him. They are bearing witness. They are bearing record. But there's a third meaning that comes from this word. 
And it's the word martyr. What's a martyr? Someone who dies. Someone who dies for what they believe in. Now, if you read the verse in that text, in that verse, in that light, and you say, and you say it like this, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be martyrs. How many would want to sign up for that job? Puts a little bit different of a spin on it, right? But at the same time, I asked myself this when I read that. And the question for myself was this. Would I? Would I be willing to lay down my life for my king? think about it like that. You know, some people say that that evangelizing is not necessary. And they will they will go to a a text like we find in Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 11 and 12 where it says this and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangel- evangelists and some pastors and some teachers And they'll say, see there, we don't have to evangelize. See, God gave you a certain gift, and God gave you a certain gift, and God gave you over here a certain gift. So we're just going to let God take the people that he's gifted, and they're going to go out, and they're going to do the things they need to do. Is that where it stops, though? Is that where the verse stops? Absolutely not. We go continue. In verse 12, it says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Well, I can guarantee that if we're not all out there trying, it ain't all going to happen. And we all have a job to do. We all have to obey the Great Commission to go out into the world and preach the gospel. It's not just for gifted people. It's a calling for all believers. It's a calling for all believers. And in 1 Peter 2.9, we read this, But ye are a chosen generation. Hey, I, I, don't, I don't knock predestination. I believe that the Bible talks about it. But I don't weigh so heavy on predestination to say that it's not my job or my ability to go out there and share the gospel with somebody. You can err too far on one side and be wrong. And as I had mentioned earlier, that, that God is not willing that how many should perish? Any should perish. Right? But that all should come to revenge. But I am glad to be saved. And I am glad that God knew I would be saved. And I feel like I am part of a chosen group, as all of us here are part of this chosen group. But he says also this, you're a royal priesthood. You know, that royal priesthood only belongs to believers. It only belongs to believers. You're a chosen people. You're part of the royal priesthood. You're part of a holy nation. 
You're part of what God calls a peculiar people. But then he says this, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you. You should show forth the praises of Him who has called you. You know, if you have a hobby, you probably get pretty excited about that hobby. I was at a car show recently up in Downingtown. You know, people get pretty excited about their cars. They put a lot of money into them things. You know what else they put in? They put in a lot of time. They put in a lot of effort. And this thing becomes the pride and joy of their very existence. How joyful are we about our Christianity? How prideful are we about our Savior? How do people know that we actually are walking around as Christians today? Are you salt and light to the world today? Or are you just blending in? Because even Christians can do that. Are we showing forth the praise of Him who has called you? And if you think about that, then you also begin to understand that evangelism is empowered. How many have tried to witness to somebody and you said to yourself, well, I just didn't feel it. Or I just, I couldn't remember anything. Or I was stammering over my words. Or I just, I couldn't get the sentence out straight. Or it just didn't feel right. And then other times, you're sitting there sharing the gospel with somebody, and you don't even know where the Bible verses are coming from. Boy, they're just like entering your brain, and it's like somebody grabbed a hold of your mouth and just started speaking for you, and, and maybe that person comes to know the Lord, maybe they don't, but nonetheless, you walk away, and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? It's called the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not about how much knowledge you have, but it's all about whether or not you're willing to obey. You know, you think of you think of some of the examples even in our New Testament, those who got saved. I mean, if you look at John 9, the story of the blind man. He walked away just getting saved. Talking about Jesus. How much did he know? He didn't know anything. He didn't know this. He didn't go to a three-year Bible program. You know, he wasn't sitting in church for the last twenty years. You know, he didn't have a mother and father who brought him up in Sunday school and all this stuff. All he know, all he knew, is that Jesus touched him, spat on the ground, made some mud, stuck it on his eyes, and said, "Open your eyes," and the man could see. And the Pharisees were, they're questioning him. And they said, well, who did this? Jesus did this. And he says, you know, I don't know anything, but this is the one thing I can tell you. I was blind, but now I see. What was he doing? He was evangelizing. 
it's not about your intellect. It's not about how well or how you know how well you can speak or how eloquent you can speak. You know what you have to do? You just gotta speak. Just say it. I got saved when I was nine years old. Okay, what does that mean? Let let the words ask the questions. Let let it just build upon and just talk to somebody relationally. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be a deacon. God saved you just the way you are, and He will use you just the way you are. Just be willing to open your mouth. It's not about how much knowledge you have. It's about obeying. But sometimes we get caught up with that, right? We ask ourselves the question, what will people think of me? Or or we have fear of rejection. Or we're just simply afraid that people think we're a weirdo. Because the more and more that I see this world going in a different direction, people think we're weirdos. There was a quote from a group called the Navigators. And I'll read this to you. He says this, One dominant reason underlying the increased reluctance of Christians to share their faith with non-Christians pertains to the faith-sharing experience itself. In asking Christians about their witnessing activities, we found that 9 out of 10 individuals who attempt to explain their beliefs and theology to other people come away from those experiences feeling as if they have failed. The reality of human behavior is that most people avoid those activities in which they perceive themselves to be failures. As creatures seeking pleasure and comfort, we emphasize those dimensions and activities in which we are most capable and secure. Thus, despite the divine command to spread the word, many Christians redirect their energies into areas of spiritual activity that are more satisfying and in which they are more likely to achieve success. It's hard. It's scary. Don't always know how to do it. Don't always know how to approach it. I was sharing a story the other day. When I when I go into customers' houses sometimes, you know, if I go in there, I may be I may have prayed before I even got there, Lord, you know, if you want me to witness to this person, uh, just just open a door. Open a door for me. And I'll go into that house and I'll just I'll just start looking for something that just resembles some kind of Christianity. It could be a cross, it could be a palm leaf, it could be a a calendar, it could be a picture, you know, something. And I'll bring attention to it. I "Ah, I notice you got that palm leaf on the wall. Where do you go to church? You know, and just kind (laughs) of, kind of just start taking the conversation into a spiritual direction. You know, I, I don't come in there with my Bible and try to, you know, slam them on the head with it and, 
you know, conversion by osmosis, you know, but I want to open the door in a, in a general way that will just kind of seem inviting, right? Oh, yeah, well, I go to this church or I go to that church. Oh, that's nice. How long have you been going to church? You know, and just start building upon the relationship. Well, there was this one specific customer, and we're sitting down at the table, and I look over, and there's a calendar, and there's little verses on the calendar. I didn't know if this Christian, if this lady was a Christian or not, but I said, hey, I, I really like that calendar. I said, did you notice the verses on there? She goes, yeah, yeah, I saw them. I said, so I said to her, I said, well, are you a Christian? She goes, well, you know, I, I consider myself to be a spiritual person. Well, that kind of gave me my answer, right? Well, do you go to church anywhere? Well, sometimes I, you know, and this and that. I said, well, would you mind? Would you, would you like to talk about spiritual matters? Sure, sure. <laughs> it, it, it was actually just too easy, you, you know? And I said, you know, I got a Bible out of my trunk. Can I go get that? I'd like to show you some things from God's Word, what He says. She's like, sure, sure. Man, I'm giggling all the way out to my truck. I'm giggling all the way back. I mean, I'm happy. And I sit down and we open the Word and I I take her to some verses in John and some verses in Romans and some verses in Ephesians and and she's receiving the word with gladness. And I'm just as happy as happy can be. And then she laid this on me. She says, you know, I'll tell you something. She goes, you might not believe this. But I actually prayed to God this morning that he would bring someone to my house. And I just, I almost just started weeping, you know, when I heard that. You know what I was there for? I was there for termites. And I thought, man, God can even use insects to accomplish His goal, to accomplish His work. I don't know if she ever got saved or not. I know she heard the Word. I know that I left her with plenty of reading material. But I just love the way God works in those ways. We should be willing We shouldn't be scared. We should be faithful. What is success in evangelism? How do we measure success in evangelism? Is it only when someone comes to know Christ? Do you have a a chalkboard on the side of your refrigerator? Well, another soul saved. I met my goal this week. We're good, God. Is that how we measure success? So I ask this question. What if they don't come to know Christ as our as their Savior? Are we a failure then? Are you a failure? Was Jesus an evangelistic failure? No. Absolutely not. You think of the people who turned away. You think of the the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. You think of Nicodemus himself in John chapter 3. We're never told that Nicodemus got saved. 
But the one thing we know for sure is that it is the Spirit of God through the Word of God that empowers us through the Holy Spirit to deliver the Word. The same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit power that changed your life for Christ is the same power to witness for Christ. So if God by His Spirit has transformed you into a follower of Jesus, be confident of this, that God has given you that Acts 1-8 power that we referenced earlier. This means that in ways and methods compatible with your personality, with your spiritual gift, with your opportunities that God has given you, and so on, you do have the power to share the gospel. You know, I was talking with Jim earlier. Jim says, you know, I'm just, I'm not a, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a speaker kind of guy. It doesn't matter. Because there's somebody Jim can talk to that knows Jim for Jim. And you know what? And Jim can sometimes talk to somebody in a way that I can't talk to him. And Dave can talk to a guy that in a way that I can't talk to him. And Debbie can talk to a girl in a way that, that I can't talk to her. God has all given us special abilities and, and things that seem attractive to one person may not be attractive to another. And, you know, we talk about sympathy and empathy sometimes, and, you know, those are relatable experiences that people have. And, you, can, you know, somebody can be dealing with something, and you can have sympathy for it, but maybe that other person has gone through that same experience, and they can exercise empathy, and therefore they have a more relatable experience. A better, a, a better angle to share the gospel. Could be. But thirdly, evangelism is a discipline. Evangelism is a discipline. Finish this for me. No pain. No gain. No pain. No gain. When we say that, we often think about maybe like a sports figure. An athlete. Right, And they want to get big, and they want to get strong, and they want to get fast, and they want to do all these things. And they get paid millions of dollars, what makes it really easy for them to do. But their whole life gets focused around working out and, and eating right and, and doing all the exercises that are, make them perform the way that they should perform. I just started working out a few days ago. <laughs> and I said to my wife, I said, I am in so much pain right now like I could barely you know the first day I felt all strong and I got in there I can do this no big deal right and even the second day or or yeah the the first day the second day wasn't too bad but it's usually two days afterwards yeah I woke up the second day my arms hurt so bad I didn't know what I was going to do I mean you could just touch me I'd be like ah." but you know what now it's been five days and I worked through the pain and Debbie said well just stop and give yourself, give your body a rest a little bit. And I said, no, I'm not doing it. I'm going back downstairs. I'm getting down on that bench again, and I'm going to lift those weights, and I'm going to do this. And you know what? I woke up this morning, and I'm still doing the same amount of exercise. I even increased it a little bit. And you know what? I don't hurt as much anymore. Matter of fact, I feel a little better. Evangelism is a discipline. 
And there's only one way to exercise that discipline. And that's to get out there and start getting it done. And yeah, it might be a little scary. And yeah, it might be a little difficult. And yeah, you might have to set time aside to do some of these things. And it may interfere with your schedule a little bit, and you didn't really want it to interfere with your schedule. But it can be life-changing. Not just for you. We get the benefit of that, for sure. We get the energy from that. We get the satisfaction from that. We get energized by that. We get the glory in God because of that. But they get to go to heaven because of that. We need to exercise in our evangelism discipline. Evangelism is a discipline. We must discipline ourselves to get into the situations where evangelism can occur. That is, we must not just wait for witnessing opportunities to happen. You must make opportunities to happen. Matthew 5.16 says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good work works. Now watch this. They may see your good works and glorify you and give you the praise and lift you up and exalt you above all. It's not what it says. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How about that? Isn't that amazing? They see God working in you. They see God working through you. And it leads them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And therefore now they are glorifying God. How amazing is that? Make time, not excuses. Your job can take things away from you. Your family can take time away from you. Your church can take time from you. And sometimes we are busy trying to fill our lives with so much stuff that we just make excuses. Yeah, but I'm serving in church, God. I'm here tonight. Hey, I prayed with the best of them. Hey, I sang, and I listened, and I worshipped, and I gave a tithe, and, you know, we, you know, like we read earlier, we, we, we do the things that we know that we can do. That's the easy part. But let's not neglect the thing that God has called us to do. Go we. Therefore, and preach the gospel. Father, we thank you this morning, or this evening rather. We thank you for our salvation. 
We thank you that there is a home that has been prepared for me, for those here, for those all around the world that have trusted in you as their Savior, that you have prepared a place for us in heaven. And we know where you are, we will be someday. But God, I know that this home is big. And you have many more rooms available. And may you empower us through the gifting of the Holy Spirit to have the heart, to have the desire to reach out to people and to make a difference in their life that they can have a home in heaven too. Show us the way, Lord. We need you. It's not easy. I don't stand up here today pretending to be the great evangelist. I struggle. I've heard your voice and I've ignored it. And then there's been times when I've obeyed it. And Lord, I know the the blessings from that sure outweigh the guilt of not obeying. So help us just to be faithful to you as there were those that were faithful to us in sharing the gospel with us. And we ask all of it today in Jesus' name. Amen.